0: Listen and follow along as I read. We're in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 to the end of the chapter. Listen as I read. Come now, you who say... or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the Word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's... Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to begin this morning by telling you a little bit about my plans for the week. Tomorrow, I plan to get a jump start on my week. Maybe do a little bit of Cyber Monday shopping for my dad. He's the toughest to shop for. Tuesday, I'm going to jump in a car with Pastor Voles, and we're going to drive over to Yakima to deliver some shoe boxes and to take Darren Maxfield, one of our missionaries. Out to lunch. Wednesday, I'll be in the office here most of the day. If you want to stop by, we can chat. Thursday night, excuse me, Thursday, I'm going to work on my sermon. Intensely, I have a session meeting Thursday night. Would appreciate your prayers for that as your elders meet. And then Saturday morning, I get on a plane to fly to Alaska. I'm going to do all of these things. Maybe. Maybe. Of course, I could be derailed in a number of different ways, in a million different ways. I could get into an accident this afternoon, which could derail my day tomorrow or my month for that matter. There could be snow on the pass on Tuesday that could cancel our trip to Yakima, or Darren might get sick leading up to our lunch, and that might cancel that. One of you might have an emergency at some point this week and might need me by your side in the hospital You get the point. We all have plans. You could give me your own account of your plans this week. Plans are certain. Plans are necessary. We we need to make plans. But we all know that stuff happens, even when we don't want to admit that stuff happens. The issue, then, is not in the making of plans. The issue is, how should I view my plans? Who ought to be involved in the making of my plans? And how should I respond to any disruptions that might come to my plans? You see, this is some of what James says. Is wanting to address this morning. I've said it before. The book of James, as one pastor so profoundly says, is street level Christianity. It's where the rubber meets the road. This is this is real life. This is everyday day-minder kind of stuff. Two things that we are taught and reminded of this morning through these verses: a warning. And an exhortation, and we'll start with a warning, and it's this. Don't live like an atheist. Don't you live, Christian, like an atheist. Now, I'm assuming that you being here this morning, taking a chunk out of your day, means that you're not an atheist, An atheist, kids, is someone who says that there is no God. No, to the contrary, you are all here this morning to proclaim to the world and to remind your own heart that you serve a God who has loved you and saved you in His Son. You clearly are not an intellectual atheist. But are you a practical atheist? And what I mean by that is what happens when you go out of these doors and the tyranny of the urgent descends upon you? What happens when your boss demands that a project must be completed in a timetable that you just don't think is possible? What happens when despite your best efforts, you simply can't find a babysitter? It's real life stuff. Does God exist in those moments of our lives? Where is God in the morning commute? Where is God in third period, kids? In your family's camping trip? In date night? In the clogged toilet? or those Christmas lights that won't work because one darn bulb is out and I can't find which one. Obviously, I'm not talking about those times when you are confronted by a co-worker about your faith, those, pro- those profound moments. I'm talking about in the mundane moments of your life. James remembers writing to a young church seeking to live out the ordinary life of faith they're doing normal things like you and I do normal things they're in an extraordinary time for sure but for instance in this morning's text he's addressing James is addressing specifically businessmen merchants of some sort and they're confidently asserting five simple things they're going on a trip they're going to arrive there, they're going to be there for a year or so, they're going to be doing some business, and they're going to be making a profit. It's not unlike a a number of business trips that you all have been on, maybe even this past week. It's not unlike family vacations that you've planned for. This is simply good planning. That's not the issue. So, what's the issue? Well, the issue, surprise, surprise, is the heart. The issue is our hearts. The mindset behind and throughout the planning, the reaction to plans that are disrupted or derailed or redirected, that's what's of concern for James, and that's ultimately what's of concern for God Himself. So, let's look at some verses. Let's look at some phrases from this passage. Verse 13, come now you who say. That's how the passage starts off this morning. It sounds almost as if James is like a concerned parent. I can hear my father's voice. Come now, Nathan. That's not who you are. James is writing this church saying, warning his brothers and sisters against planning in such a way Where all the mystery of life, mystery of tomorrow, and where the brevity of life, the frailness of life, is not even considered. It's not thought about. It's not made evident. And therefore, it's planning without any regard for God. It's planning that is simply filled with pride. That's the heart of the issue. Verse 16, look at it. You boast in your arrogance. You presume you know. You live in the illusion that you are in control, but you're not. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Remember that quote that's attributed to Walt Disney? I used it when we looked at the life of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. For those of you who were here, he is quoted as saying it's debatable whether it's his quote. If you can dream it, you can do it. And for sure it's, it's as motivational as they get, but it's not entirely accurate. Because you're not the master of your own fate. You're not. And to think that you are is just arrogance. Walt Disney himself needed a host of things to go his way, not the least of which was being born into a stable family in the most prosperous nation of the world. The little kid in India living in a garbage dump is dreaming, but he can't do it. So, the Scriptures remind us to be careful. Proverbs 27, 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Life is mysterious, and that's okay. That's okay because we serve a good Father who is behind all of the mystery. But it's not just that life is a mystery with an unknown tomorrow. James writes that life is a vapor. It's a mist. Verse 14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, right? We all think, we all believe that we've got plenty of time. And it's so… I think that way. It's so easy for us to think that way, Brothers and sisters, let me remind you, Sue Parker went to bed on January twenty first, two 2014, thinking she had plenty of time. Jeanette Hawkinson came to church dinner on March 24, 2016, thinking she was going to go home that night. Thankfully, neither of these women lived in arrogance. Neither of these women lived not knowing, not having eternity in view, not knowing that their Savior could take them at any moment. And it's that kind of mindset, it's that kind of heart, it's that kind of humility before the Lord that the Lord requires. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Psalm 39, 4 and 5 the psalmist prays, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, You have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before You. Surely all mankind stands as a breath. And so, not living like an atheist means living humbly having a humility about your life, having humility about the future. Let me read a quote from a commentator. He says, We assure ourselves that time is on our side and at our our disposal. We speak to ourselves as if life were a right, as if our choice is the only deciding factor, as if we had in ourselves all that was needed to make a success of things. We're going to talk practically in a moment about how to do this. But before we go there, let me just ask this question. Is this really that big of a deal to God? I mean, a plan is a plan. Well, the answer, James gives it to us, the answer is absolutely it's a big deal to God. Verses 16 and 17, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is what? Evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Do, do you hear that language? Boasting in a life apart from God is evil. Forgetting God is sin. Hear me, God is not being God is not being whiny or petty here. God is not like that. God is being jealous. Remember we talked about jealousy a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Chapter 4, verse 5, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Why? Because he loves us as a bride. He loves you as his bride. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for your time. He is jealous for your attention. Not because he's needy. Not because he's whiny. Because he's God. And there is no greater thing That we could be in love with than God Himself. Just from an earthly perspective, think about, think about the the idea of being forgotten. The impact of being forgotten, right? Your spouse totally spaces on your anniversary, not even, not even acknowledgement. Your parents totally forget your birthday. Don't even acknowledge it. It hurts. So my college buddy called me the other day. My kids will get a kick out of this. I've known this guy since we were both 18 years old. We were roommates together. We stood in each other's weddings. We've kept in touch all these years. We see each other almost every year, every other year. I knew that his wife was pregnant with their fourth. It was a big deal. They got three boys, and number four is a girl, and so he calls me, and immediately I pick up the phone, and I know what he's calling for. Did she come? Yeah, she came. Well, what's her name? Her name is, is Elsa Jane. She's, she's fine. She's safe and sound. Are you still at the hospital? Is your wife okay? What time was she born? Oh, she was born Tuesday of last week, <laughs> about 10 days ago. Ten days ago, ten days ago, you didn't call me for ten days? I hassled him about it. I will hassle him about it until we go to our graves. But a little part of me, it hurt. It hurt that I was forgotten, that that I didn't get a call at least the day after. Being forgotten by those that you love hurts, and this is the story of God in relationship to His people. We read in Isaiah seventeen ten: for you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered your rock of refuge. Israel's national arrogance manifested itself in Worship and earthly allegiance, James brings this need of gospel living into our living rooms, and into our SUVs. God does not want to be forgotten. Don't live like an atheist. So, how do we live then? Well, James helps us, and that's the second thing this morning. Live in light God's providence. Don't live like an atheist, but live in light of God's providence. Now, that's a big word, kids. I know the word providence. What does it mean? Some of you adults don't know what it means. That's okay. The Westminster Confession of Faith, our confession, helps us. God, the great Creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures actions, and things from the greatest to the least by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable or unchangeable counsel of His own will to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy." You see, our practical atheism, brothers and sisters, James says, flies in the face of God's present, sustaining work in the world, His providence. And the remedy begins with verse 15. Look there with me. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Deo volente. It's the Latin phrase, if God wills. But this, this phrase here is, if the Lord wills. This is not just some generic God. This is the Lord of glory. In chapter 2, verse 1. This is the triune God who has revealed himself in the person and work of of Jesus Christ. If that God wills, then we will do. And so, what is this? Is this some kind of a, a, a mantra that we need to say? Some kind of catchphrase we just need to throw in every once in a while? No, this isn't a mantra, this is a mindset. This is as one commentator says, a a 24-7 God consciousness, Lord consciousness. Paul lived like this. We see it in his life and we see it even in his speech, even in the things he said, Acts 18, 21, listen, but on taking leave of them, Paul said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. 1 Corinthians 4, 19, he told the church in Corinth, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. You see, Christian, you, you ought to live. We must live with an acute awareness of God's dealings in all things. Our lives can't be chopped up into these little compartments. And here you're checking that little Sunday compartment. No, there are no compartments. We live quorum Deo, another Latin phrase, before the face of God. Every day, every second of every day, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're not just praying what's out there. We're not just praying for that kingdom work on the mission field half a world away, but that the Lord would govern our lives, every little bit of them. Your kingdom come in the big stuff, certainly, in our church, in its gospel witness, in our marriage, in our callings, in our relationships, in our careers, absolutely. But your kingdom come in my commute, in my 10 a.m. conference call, In my changing of yet another dirty diaper. In fourth period science. In my coffee appointment with my sister. In my phone call with my mom. You get the point. If we believe in providence from the greatest to the least God is involved. That all things come to us, not by chance, but by His hand then we must live in light of that. If God is really concerned about us and loves us like we sing about, then He isn't just concerned about the big parts of your life. He's concerned about all of your life. As we close, I want to give four encouragements of how not to live like an atheist, but instead to live in light of God's providence. And I confess, I wrote these down in my notes, and I've been battling a cold this week, so I don't know if these were from my head or from somebody else that I read. So, let's just assume it's the latter and it's not my head, but apologies to whoever put these down or apologies to myself, if they were my idea. There's no doubt God wants us to plan. God commends good planning. But there's an arrogant way to plan, and there's an appropriate way to plan. And so, these four encouragements are for our planning. Number one, godly planning does so with God's plan in mind. Godly planning plans with God's plan in mind. This is the most obvious responsibility for us as Christians. God hasn't revealed the minutiae of our lives, but He has given us clear guidance in a host of things, in who we ought to marry on how we ought to raise our kids, what our involvement in the body of Christ ought to be. All those things are pretty clear, and so we search His Word, we listen to godly counselors through whom He directs, and we walk in His ways. Number two, godly planning confesses its dependence before, during, and after. Godly planning confesses its dependence before, during, and after. Proverbs sixteen nine, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. And remember, I'm not talking about just the big decisions of should we move here, should I take that job, should I marry that girl. We're not talking just about those. We're talking about the minutiae of our lives. A phrase I get all the time in my home from my dear wife is, have you asked Jesus? Have you asked Jesus? It's not in those big moments that I get that question, that challenge. It's in those small, daily ordering of my day. And believe me, I don't want to paralyze you every time you're trying to pick a place to eat, waiting for a sign from Jesus that you should go to Chipotle. I mean, you should go there because they got great burritos, but that's not necessarily from Jesus. Certainly, God gives us the freedom to move and to act and to make decisions without every time getting down on our knees. We have the Spirit of Christ within us. We can walk by faith, but we're wrong to think that some things, especially those small things, are off limits to God, that God is too busy to help me do this. God's too busy to help me figure this out. I'm not going to bother God with this. God's never too busy. He wants to be involved in your life. If you're going on a business trip, He wants you to depend on Him for safety on that plane, for purity in that hotel room, for care for your family while you're gone, for witness with your coworkers, whatever it may be. He wants to walk with you. And occasionally, to remind yourself, and I do this myself, maybe some of you have heard it, occasionally throw in that phrase that Paul Paul uses and that James throws in, if the Lord wills, because it just is a good reminder that I'm not in control. Use it especially with unbelievers, because that's where they see that you're not in control, but you're dependent upon another. Well, thirdly, godly planning acknowledges God's favor. Godly planning acknowledges God's favor. We've just come off this cultural weekend of of gratitude. It's a great exercise, but it's one that's got to be more than just yearly. It's got to be a daily exercise. Every morning, every beat of our hearts, every opportunity to love and to be loved is a gift. I'm not particularly close to Andrew Allen, but he has been so helpful for me in this regard. Number four, godly planning doesn't idolize the plan. Godly planning doesn't idolize the plan. In other words, the unforeseen doesn't derail you. When our best laid plans get blown up and flushed down the toilet, we don't need to throw a tantrum. We don't need to despair, but we can give thanks. Blessed be Your name when the sun's shining down on me. Blessed be Your name on the road marked with suffering. Brothers and sisters, in this world in which we live, it is so easy to forget. When God's people were carted off to Babylon in exile, they feared Losing sight of the God who had led them out of Egypt, the God who had given them the promised land, the God who had sustained them. Listen to Psalm 137, verses 4 through the beginning of 6. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you. Our prayer needs to be similar, that our lives might be intentionally fixed. Lord, don't let us live our lives as if you don't exist. Let us walk with you humbly and gratefully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning once again for your Word for the Holy Spirit's preservation of it, for the challenge of it on our daily lives. Father, we don't think of ourselves as boastful and arrogant, certainly not in regards to you. And yet we confess. too easily we forget. Lord, give us grace. Show us how to live in light of Your providence. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.